Hi, and welcome to Captain's Corner, a podcast about community, mission, and culture. This podcast is a ministry of the Salvation Army of Tampa, where we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Also, please check us out at tampasa.org and go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at SalArmyTampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Today on the podcast, we have Commissioner David Hudson, National Commander of the Salvation Army in the United States of America. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, friends. This is Captain Andy Miller coming to you for Captain's Corner, a ministry of the Salvation Army in Tampa, Florida. And I am privileged today to have on the line with us Commissioner David Hudson, who's a National Commander for the Salvation Army. Thank you, Commissioner, for joining us. Yeah, it's a real treat, and uh, I enjoyed the weather down in Florida, at least, uh, you know, vicariously through you. <laughs> well, you're, you're, it's raining here today, but you're, you're welcome to come oh, down. Oh, well, maybe anytime. I'm not. <laughs> maybe I'm not. It's, sun, it's sunny here in D.C., so maybe I'll take our weather over yours today. Sure. Well, we're, you know, we're excited to be able to have an opportunity to engage various people, and you have a unique seat via your appointment in the ministry God's given you as a national commander of the Salvation Army. A lot of people, maybe particularly those in Tampa listening, won't understand some of the distinctions in our organizational structure. But could you just tell us a little about yourself and, and how you came to serve as an officer, a pastor in the Salvation Army, and now as an organizational leader? Yeah, well, uh, a little bit about myself. Well, I've been an officer for uh, 44 years. Wow. Actually started out life's journey in uh, Dallas, Texas. So I was in the Southern Territory for the first four years of my life. Actually five, because then I moved to New Orleans for one year. Okay. And uh, actually had the joy of living above divisional headquarters. Wow. In in New Orleans, and that was a a divisional headquarters city back in those days. Right, interesting, yeah. And then from there, I traveled to Anchorage, Alaska. You talk about a culture shift. Were your parents officers in the Salvation Army? No. um, My my aunt was. She was a southern officer. She was a finance secretary in... in New Orleans, and that's why I lived with her. Okay. And then my mom somehow reconnected with a former uh, boyfriend. Okay. And uh, and he was living in Anchorage, Alaska, and we got on a plane. Now, this is back in 1962, probably, 63, okay. something like that. And so plane travel was, you know, was uh, kind of a special thing in those days. And right. so it was an all-day uh, flights to uh, to Anchorage. Lived there for a couple of years, and then we moved to Oregon, and that's where I really re-engaged with the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, you know, I went to a very, very small corps in uh, in Portland, Oregon, okay. where a Salvation Army uh, kind of took this guy that, he, my mom is quite, which is, uh, she was mid-40s when I was born, and uh, my stepdad had no desire, you know, to take us to church to anything, and so... Uh, this guy, uh, this corps officer, uh, drove clear across Portland every day from north side all the way to the southeast uh, mm. every Sunday, wow. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Uh, he would go for women's ministries and come and pick me up for youth groups um, and really took me under his wing and, and kind of became a surrogate father to wow. me. Wow. Uh, and uh, his influence and that of my aunt's really did uh, God use those things to, to drive me into officership. Uh, you know, I think, uh, 
you know, they say, you know, uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Well, you know, I, I think in my life when I saw what God was doing through them and their influence on me, um, I just I just felt that God wanted me to do that and pay that forward with yeah. others. And so that's how I, I started started my life's journey. Uh, attended the Salvation Army Training College in San Francisco, California at those days. Interesting. And then was commissioned in 1975 in the Soldiers of the Cross session, and that is the last session uh, that was commissioned out of San Francisco. I had no idea and that it was based. Was THQ in San Francisco in those days? It was. Hmm. It was. Uh, and they they both moved that summer down to Rancho Palos Verdes, California. They bought a uh, – uh, it was a Catholic two-year uh, – uh, like college for for girls, residential college, hmm. and um, I think their student enrollment was quite low, and so the army got a very good price, and so they moved the entire territorial headquarters and uh, the school uh, to what was uh, known before then as Marymount College, okay, uh, in Southern California, and so it's interesting. Uh, I've had a lot of association with that facility over the years. But I still sometimes refer to it as the new school. Oh, interesting, yeah. There for, <laughs> even though it's been there for 44 years, you know, I never attended a class there. So when they say, go to this this building or something, I still have to ask, so what building is that? You know, can you tell me? It's and interesting. So kind of point me the way. How so, our perspectives change. So would you have been like 18 or 19 years old when you went to training? I was 19. Wow. And uh, which, you know, and I, but my wife said, I was 19, and I was very good at it. I was, uh, <laughs> very, very immature. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think if there was anyone voted in my class, you know, least likely to uh, succeed in anything, I, I probably was pretty close to the top of the ballot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I married well. Um, I met my wife. Uh, she was at the school at the same time. Okay. And uh, so we met, and we were we're married one year later. Uh, in uh, in Santa Ana, California, which is her home core. So I came from Portland. Uh, she came from uh, Los Angeles area, Orange County, and we met in the middle in San Francisco. There you and, go. Uh, and so we we've been married now for uh, 43 years uh, this year. So, so it's now, been, and I know you served all over the West. Probably the the first I had heard of where you were, you had the one of those. I'm sure many people think they should be jealous because you were divisional leader in Hawaii. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. It, you know, and you know what? They should be. It, it, uh, it, I always say that Hawaii is all that and more. You know, they say you should over, you should under promise and over deliver. Well, Hawaii makes a lot of promises, but they over deliver. Oh, interesting. And we just, we just had a great time. And that, that division is interesting. It has to be, if not the largest, it's one of the largest divisions geographically in the world oh, uh, because it, of guam because it's it goes all the way out to guam and saipan right. and guam is four thousand miles from honolulu wow so it's you'd get on a plane it's a seven and a half hour non-stop direct flight to guam but then you have micronesia and marshall islands which kind of are in the middle and so you'd fly like one direction to uh to guam and then on the way back, you would do what's called the island hopper, and you would go through the Federated States of Micronesia, and you'd go through Marshall Islands. And you have to spend at least two days at every stop because the plane goes one direction one day and the other direction the other wow. day. 
So it, it you know, was a real commitment of times, but a couple of times a year, my wife and I would do that swing and just meet our wonderful uh, soldiers and friends of the Army uh, out in that uh, gorgeous, gorgeous part of the world. What makes but the yeah, Army distinct we, uh, out there? So when you think about, like, how the Salvation Army operates and, like, what are some of the things that, you know, people might be interested to know about the Army's work in the Pacific Islands? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. In uh, Marshall Islands and in uh, Micronesia, it's primarily known as a church. Yes. We're here in the United States. We're primarily known as a so- social service organization that, you know, has religious wor- or, you know, services. It's just the opposite there. It's primarily a church, and there's the... Uh, and the church primarily does the ministries, social services ministries in the island. So they don't do a lot of direct servants, uh, service with, uh, you know, with finances, but the people are engaged. So whether it's feeding pre- people or in uh, Pompeii, they actually built uh, a, no, I'm sorry, it was Chuk. They actually built uh, a room attached to the prison where uh, the families could go and visit their family members that were incarcerated. Wow. And, uh, and you know, so it's just that real practical type type of ministry. Uh, and, um, you know, so it's that uh, one-on-one, um, you know, kind of helping people lead better lives, both spiritually and physically. Yes. Uh, so, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just a great, great place. It's... Uh, you know, it's certainly part of the developing world, especially if you go out to some in the Marshall Islands, you go out to um, some of the, um, they're all atolls, but some of the ones that are way, way out. And there was one core I never made it to because you would have to fly to Majuro, which would be about a five-hour flight from Honolulu, and then you would have to fly to a uh, another atoll on um on um, Marshall Islands Airways, and which only had two planes, and if one broke down, they stopped flying the other one because they would have to wait for the part to come. Wow. And so you have to be really careful going out some so these far reaches. And so I would go to this one atoll called Jalowit, which is about an hour flight, or it's about an 18 or 19 hour boat ride. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it would be another about five or six hours on a boat. Uh, to get to this one one core that we had. Wow, and five so, or six hours so, on a boat after already being an hour. After all of that, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and you were literally in the middle of nowhere. And you know, it's interesting. People said, "Have you ever, you know, did I ever experience island fever, rock fever?" When I was in Hawaii. Hmm. Well, the answer is in Hawaii, absolutely not. But one day uh, I was in Pompeii and I looked at a map and realized that if my kids needed me on the mainland. Wow. How long it would take me to get back to them. Wow. And at yeah. that moment, I felt very, very isolated. Hmm. But then somebody came up and said, you want to go get pizza or something? And I got distracted. Oh, there you go. Okay, there are other priorities, of <laughs> course. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, uh, but it, it is really, really unique. And, it, and it's kind of two separate Army worlds because of finances. You can't ever unite the entire division hmm. there's just no way right and so you have uh kind of the marshall islands uh part of the ar- uh, army in that division you have guam micronesia part and then you have hawaii part hmm. but they're all all wonderful and it would be great when all the officers would get together which we tried to do about once a year at least bring the officers in sure well that's so unique and, and so those are unique experiences that you bring to 
connecting and uniting the Salvation Army's work in the whole USA. It's kind of a, a, a unique position, and some of the folks who might be listening to this podcast might not understand that the national commander the role, and you just correct me if I'm saying something wrong or in, a, in the inappropriate way, but is a, a kind of a coordinator and facilitator to unify the work, and particularly as we present ourselves in Washington, D.C., and in a public relations capacity in the, each of the territories from the um, western, southern, eastern, and central territories. They have a fair amount of autonomy, but you're, you, you kind of convene these various territories together to present a unified vision. Is that, is that a good way of describing your role? Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's as good as, good as any. You know, it's, it's interesting. It is a, there is a, certainly a coordinating uh, uh, component of the position. All the territories are independent from one another, and they all report directly to London, where you know our international headquarters is. Right. Uh, but uh, national headquarters kind of lays alongside, not necessarily over, but alongside. And uh, we do a couple of things. One, anything that has to do with national policies that have been uh, uh, that the territories uh, have all come together and determined that these should be territorial or national policies is run through what you would know as the commissioner's conference, which I am the chair of. Right. And then it's national. Once something is determined to be of national uh, prior, uh, you know, policy, then national headquarters becomes um, not necessarily the enforcer of that, but we also become the administrator right. of, the, of that part. And then you have anything that's deemed uh, by the Commissioner's Conference uh, to be of national importance, uh, and um, which would be uh, like the brand brand management of the Salvation Army right. doing the most good, or our, our presence on Capitol Hill and our public policy, or something like that. That is deemed to be national priorities. National headquarters actually takes the leadership role on mm -hmm. those things. Uh, because it is from the national scope. Also, with the National Advisory Board would be uh, would be in in that arena as well. And so uh, it, it's it's interesting that in that respect, and all of the territorial commanders are uh, trustees of the national corporation. So, okay. as as I am, and uh, a couple of other people here, we have eight like a treasurer, eight, seven, seven trustee, yeah, treasurer, and this, uh, the the national chief secretary. Okay. And so they would they would make up our trustees, but what's interesting as well, I am the chairman of the board of all corporations in the United States with a few exceptions, and those tend to be uh the HUD, you know, where it's single asset corporations. Okay, I am not yeah. the chairman of those. Or I would not be the chairman of uh if we have a couple of captive insurance uh corporations uh in the United States, I would not be the chairman of those. But if you take all of those out, and so I do a once-a-year visit where I attend, uh, attend the, uh, the board meetings and kind of briefed on, uh, on the status of the territory, you know, where the growth is, the finances, et cetera. And then also anything that has to do that could rise to the level of national importance. Right. And then also uh, I meet once a year uh, with the general and the chief of the staff and the international secretary to the Americas and give them a briefing on the United States, or the Salvation Army in the United States. And uh, so I will take some of the information that I've 
I've gleaned from those meetings some of the things that we've observed, the national board, the national brand management, all these things. And I submit a gen, uh, an agenda to the general, mm-hmm. and then uh, he approves it or not, or approves it with, with edits. But in my experience, they've always approved it, and then they will add additional things onto the agenda. And then that once a year, the, I have a meeting uh, with them, my wife and I both, and uh, the meeting will go about three or four hours, and we just go through one thing or another, and there's lots of lots of discussion on every item, lots of follow-up you know, dialogue and then questions. And, and sometimes the general will say, well, I'm really interested in this next year, what happens in this arena? And so I give them, um, you know, continual updates along the way on those areas as well. Let me back up so here. Really like, this is, is so interesting because uh, I, I, I want to get to kind of some of, in a second here, just some of the priorities or concerns or issues or opportunities you see for the Army as a whole because you have a unique seat with that. But but one thing that's happened since I've become more engaged, particularly as a as a Salvation Army officer and now as an area commander, is I have generally, and, and I think the average person who grew up in the Salvation Army, sees the territorial and national leader's role in an ecclesial fashion, which is appropriate and important. But there's also, you just highlighted th- something that's not brought up very often is the nature of our corporation. And so there's like an organ organizational component to that so is very significant so as i'm in the community and there'll be people who listen to this interview who are resonating with some of that language to to acknowledge that the territorial commanders generally sit in a role as a president and ceo of the corporation but the national commander then is the chairman of each of those separate board of trustees um do you think the way that the, this is set up with um, the, now the, this is a great question to ask, of course, before you uh, maybe before you retire in a, in a year or so here. But is this a good setup uh, organizationally, corporately, for us to have four distinct territories, like and, and in many corporations, but essentially four corporations and a fifth with yours there? I'm I'm really curious of your thoughts on that now after 44 years of officership. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. Uh, if you would have asked me four years ago, I said, "Yeah, I don't have a clue." Uh, hmm. But I do have, I do have a pretty, uh, pretty strong opinion today. Oh, uh, I, I can't wait take, to hear it. Let me take you back to the 1930s. Oh, wow, we're going to go evan- back. Well, yeah, but I'm going to real quick. Okay. Evangeline Booth was the was truly the national commander, right. of the of the Salvation Army of the United States, and she actually started forming the territories. Uh, as when she was national commander, but all of the territories reported directly to national headquarters, right. not directly to London. She was, uh, she was the national commander. When she became general, uh, she changed the relationship of um, the territories to the national commander and had them report directly to London. Hmm. And she appointed basically, I think even those title was a national coordinator. It was not a national commander. And and I wonder, you know, sometimes why she did that, and, and I think <laughs> that, you know, um, and I'm not sure what her motivation was. However, I'm totally convinced that she did the right thing. Okay. And the reason I say that is uh, if you can imagine if the United the Salvation Army in the United States was one territory. Right. Uh, where when you look at the support of the world, uh, you know, that goes around. They say anywhere around 70, 75 percent of the financial support of the operation of the world in developing countries is, is 
comes to, uh, from the United States. Wow. I think it would be a very dangerous position for anybody to be in that would control if we, you know, if we had the, yes. uh, you know, the hierarchical uh, right. setup that we have. That's right. Interesting. Where you had a national, a national commander uh, that literally would have more power than the general. The only power the general would have would be to change the national commander. Interesting. But I, I think I, I just think that type of uh, wow of uh, of authority would be a dangerous thing. And so I think. Regardless of her motivation, I think the structure we have today has lots of safeguards. Interesting. This um, is so interesting. National, let me let me highlight for some of my listeners okay. too the unique thing. Is, I'm sorry to interrupt you. The, the, um, if you take a look at Dr. Ed McKinley's book, Marching to Glory, The History of the Salvation Army in the United States, um, it's a fascinating book and written like poetry. I mean, I just think if anybody right. who's interested in the Salvation Army's history, this is a great book to read, in, or history in general, you know, you know, history of America. Well, it, one thing that, Commissioner, you just highlighted so unique is that the Salvation Army struggled with this idea of how we function as um, separately from our heritage in England, right. so much so that we had two major kind of uh, um, successions or, uh, yep. uh -huh. where, where there was a group led by a man named Thomas Moore that led and started the what now is the American Rescue Society, and they still exist in a very small capacity. Then, of course, William Booth's own son, Ballington Booth, separated and founded the the Salvation Army of America, and that became what is now today Volunteers of America. A lot of people don't know those little tidbits of history, but this is so interesting because, if you, for instance, if you were truly the national commander um, in the sense of, like, total control over the Salvation Army in the entire United States, that's a $4 billion budget. Is that right? Uh, plus or minus, yeah. Yep. I mean, right around that. And that's, that is, a like you said, then you would have a responsibility that would be beyond— that of the um of the general so there's a sense that it's a it's almost like a separation of powers argument that you're making is that right yeah and then also i think what it does is there's some built-in accountabilities in that because uh with with uh certainly the national commander is accountable to the territories when you have uh four of your seven voting members of the board of trustees that are wow. coming from the territories you know, I'm I'm really um, uh, you know um, held accountable by them, but also by my role of going. And I have to admit, when I go, I'm looking at a you know I'm not looking at the management level. I'm looking at a ten thousand foot level. Right. But if, but you know you can pick up some pretty uh, pretty significant things with trends and um, you know whether they're financial or or statistical or whatever. Uh, and so I'm able to see those, and I'm not held accountable by the territorial commanders of what I report to London. Hmm. And so I, I can I can report to, uh, and it is when I report to uh, the general, I'm he, he gets everything pretty uncensored. You know, it's it's like here, here it is, and uh, the good, the bad. You know, the areas that we're thriving in, the areas of concern, the areas of uh, of struggle, etc. And hmm. uh, and while he's as well doesn't get into the you know micromanaging or something, he's keenly interested. And then that actually works in tandem with the international secretaries once every eighteen month visit to each of the territories. Right. And so it gives them material so when they come they can 
verify what I've said, or they can say, well, maybe you know, maybe Hudson was off a little bit on this hmm. one, or maybe it was his his, his bias or whatever. Because we all have biases, you know, we some things we miss. Sure. So, so that's also interesting. And then the other unique thing, just one last yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm there's sorry. A lot of things I could go down. No, no, no. The one last thing is when I go out to the territories, we look at officers. And when I'm looking at officers for secession planning, I'm really looking on the onboarding of chief secretaries. Interesting. And so I I go around and as I visit, I talk to the territorial leaders, but also most of the, well, all of the secretaries for personnel or business or program or whatever come come here to national headquarters. If I'm in town, I'll have a meal with them. I'll go meet with them. And so I begin to have kind of a perspective. And so when... It comes time to look at um, who should be made a chief secretary in the United States. Then you know uh, that's also part of my report to London. These are the people that I see as as potentials, and I'll kind of say you know it depends on what you're looking for. But if you're looking for this person, yeah, kind of sure. has a a business acclimate, or this one a program, or this one more of a pastor, or whatever the case may be. Now London isn't bound by that. But it just gives them more information uh, right. to, uh, when uh, for what they uh, when they are making those decisions. Let me try and explain something. So, particularly, some like so for for instance, people in like the Tampa community might not know some of the terminology that you're using. But there are several people who will listen to this who are connected to the Army, and it gives me an opportunity to kind of explain something, and then for you to correct me if I'm wrong, which I very well could be wrong on this matter. Is that the the chief secretaries and territorial commanders, the number one and two spots within. Um, territories all over the Salvation Army world, those positions are appointed by international headquarters. And when somebody becomes a chief secretary, there's a sense that they are, maybe like particularly organizationally, they then are international officers and then can move to a variety of places um, internationally. Whereas me, as a Tampa Area commander, I'm going to be staying in the Southern Territory of the Salvation Army um, unless something was to pull me out of that environment, which I'm very glad to stay in Tampa, Florida, by the way. So there's like a interesting thing is that there needs to be a voice to help communicate in a sea of officers how the how IHQ becomes aware of who they develop as a um, international leader, so to speak, somebody to take on those right. positions. Is that right? Yes. And of course, uh, along with that, each of the territorial commanders and uh, spouse and chief secretary and spouse have to do reports on all people that are in certain uh, appointments, which would be divisional commanders, territorial finance secretaries, uh, territorial use secretaries, uh, and there's a few uh, property secretaries. They they would do have reports to London every year on those, and they're all individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not shared with one another. So I would not if I was well here. I do them for national headquarters officers. I don't tell my wife what I'm writing. I don't tell the chief secretary what I'm writing. Uh, and so London has this series of reports on, on officers along the way. And so they can lay all those out, and then at the same time they hear what I have to say. At the same time they hear what the territories have to say. And so it's, it's a very, very uh, educated decision that they are making along the way. Right. So, yes, now, just one minor correction okay, is, good. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right that if you're a chief secretary or a territorial commander, 
you really are at the general's disposal, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. you you can go anywhere in a minute's notice. But also as an officer of the Salvation Army, he, he could hear of you reach in and tell the territorial commander, you know, the Millers are now going to Oh, no, Zambia. no, don't use us as an example. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, <laughs> no, but, you know, they, they do have the ability. Now, they very, very, very seldom would do something like that, and they would – I have never seen it done without consultation right. with the territories and with the officer. Right. Now, with that case, when you're a chief secretary or territorial commander, there isn't much consultation. The last – uh, two times or three times I moved, it was a call from the chief of the staff, who is the second command in London, and basically said the general has decided, and is there any reason why you cannot? Right. And um, and the last two of those appointments, I was out of the country. Uh, one time I was in St. Petersburg, Russia, and my phone actually worked. Wow. And I was on a cruise and got farewell orders. Wow. And uh, that, was, that was an interesting moment. Yeah, I've, in reading um, the first time I became aware of some of these things was reading General John Larson's um, autobiography. I think it's called "Saying Yes to Life," and he talks about how um, the territorial commander or national commander and the chief secretary, national chief secretary arrangement all around the world is basically an arranged marriage, so to speak. Like yeah. it's not like yeah, you get to really choose is. your own. Uh, in, in, in corporate world, so people who are listening oh. in that capacity, it's like the CEO doesn't choose his COO or her COO. Yeah. It's instead something that— That's exactly right. And that's, again, another one of these safeguards, too, that it's not yeah. going to be yeah. one person. It's this, like, collaborative process, co- consultative process to lead the Salvation yeah. mission. No, so, it's exactly true, and it's actually by by design. Hmm. Uh, you, you know— um, you know, if you have a territorial command, like right now you have a territorial commander in the South that is from, from right. the South, which yes. is a wonderful thing. But you have a chief secretary who is from the Central. Right. And uh, Commissioner Howell would have had absolutely nothing to say about that. And if he would have offered his opinion, London probably would have said thank you for that and almost dismissed it. Where somebody like me, where they would see me as a little bit more disinterested in it. Right. Um, I am interested, but not as interested as he would be, obviously. Uh, They would listen much, much closer. Hi, friends. I just want to take a minute here to tell you about the sponsor for our first season of Captain's Corner. Trade South is the Southern Territory's Supplies and Purchasing Department. They are tasked with resourcing the field with products and services at the best negotiated prices. This is accomplished in a two-fold way to buy and stock products in volume, maximizing our collective purchasing power, and to negotiate discount vendor agreements that reflect the needs of the territory. TradeSouth stocks over 4,000 unique products in its Atlanta warehouse and offers over 5,000 more shipped directly through vendors. Visit TradeSouth at MyTradeSouth.com for vendor agreements, programs, you can visit discounts.MyTradeSouth.com. And I'll just add that TradeSouth has produced my two books, Stay the Course in His uh, Holistic Hospitality. You can find those there, and I always refer people to that site because I'd rather people leverage their dollar at a Salvation Army site where the kind of the net income is going to go to support the Salvation Army's mission. And so I just encourage you to check out this site. Jeremy Roll and his team have done a great job really bringing the Salvation Army's trade concept into the 21st century with their website and their great customer service. So check them out at MyTradeSouth.com. Now back to our program. Well, I am running out of time, but I want to get like, what are some of the um, priorities or things that you think are are big issues 
that the Army needs to look at um, when, as you've been able to have this 10,000-foot level from national headquarters? What are some of those things? Like, pretty, like so I have, I don't, I'm 39 years old, so I have a little, you know, a little less than 30 years left to serve in the Salvation Army. Um, what are some of those issues that you see coming up that are of critical missional importance? Well, I think, uh, I think first of all, uh, missional is uh, the mission. Uh, I, I think, you know, I've asked, and I've said this a number of times recently, what makes the Army stand out from other organizations that, you know, have come and gone? And obviously, you know, if you look at who, the personnel, they've had, they've had as good a personnel as we've had, and they've had a lot of other things that we had. But I think the mission, I think we do have a God-ordained mission, yes. and I think it's beautifully crafted. And I remember your grandfather used to, uh, you know, uh, used to hold up the two hands, you right. know, and, and talk about, you know, the, the mission. Uh, I, I often talk about the mission, and it's not two missions. And I know he Amen. didn't say that as well, but it's one mission. Amen. And to only do part of the mission, either side, does a disservice to the entire thing. Right. And uh, and I think that when you look at they fit brilliantly hand in hand because if you think about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and you come down to what is the gospel of Jesus Christ it's about redemption it's about restoration yes it's about it's about unification it's about bringing hope it's about a future it's about things that this world is absolutely longing for Amen. matter of fact bob johansson a futurist said the one thing that this, the united states needs now more than ever, and in 10 years, we'll absolutely more, need more than is hope. Wow. And I think the gospel of Jesus Christ brings hope. Amen. But then, but meeting human need in his name without discrimination, I think that's it, it is right on. That's what the church should be. If you look at the parable of the sheep and the goats, there was one difference between the sheep and the goats. It's what they did or they didn't do to the least of these, the brothers of Christ. Right. And the thing that, that also is, I think that when we truly serve to the least of these, we don't recognize them as the least of these because we give them dignity and we give them value because they are God's creation. Right. So I think the mission, and I think we, we cannot deviate from the mission. I think the other thing that I'm, I'm, I promised, um, I promised the social service conference I would be doing a, a couple of months ago, and I that I would talk about this at every level of the Salvation Army, uh, from the general down to wherever, yes. and that we do a masterful job of incorporating people from various cultures and uh, ethnic diversity in the Salvation Army. We have got to do a better job. We have to do a better job of showing that diversity at the highest levels of the Salvation Army in the United States. It's got to be a priority. And we have to begin to realize that the tapestry of God's God's family. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, there may be a lot of reasons why we haven't succeeded, but I think we've got to realize that to some extent we fail in this area, and we've got to do better. And so, um, you know, I'm not necessarily affirmative action, right. but what I say is what we should be doing is having a matrix of leadership, and right. you start having this matrix, matrix of all the things that are needed in right. leadership. But, but gender and race and, uh, has to be part of that matrix. 
And so if you get equal people that are equally gifted or equally potential or whatever, and you see one that's a married woman and one that's a person of color and they're all else equal, that person has to be chosen. Hmm. Um, and I think that's the only way for us ever to break break the cycle. But I think we have to be very, very uh, pay close attention to this, and it has to be a real priority. So I think that has to happen, and I'm praying that uh, I'm praying that that takes place. Uh, I'd like to see it happen while I'm still national commander. I only have a year to go, but I, I'm hoping and praying that we see some real traction in this in this area, in the territories, and eventually here at national headquarters because that's where our leaders come from. It, it's uh, just a, a tension between um, what what is meant by equality, and I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say this making us a priority. The um, the distinction between equality of outcome and equality of opportunity. So, uh, and and I think what you're saying, and I I sense your heart in this, is that there hasn't been an equality of opportunity um, through the years. And so that then, it's not fair to to anybody in the situation to say, all right, we need to be divided completely. And it's a, it's a never ending spiral to say, all right, we need to have equal representation of X, Y community because you'll never, never achieve it. You won't ever be able to get a perfect balance based upon the population or, or whoever it is. So, and then it's not fair to put somebody in a place where they might not have had the development. But I hear you saying, you know, we're going to give people the opportunities and as they're, as they've had the experiences um, that will allow them to serve well, uh, yeah. um, then, they, then they get an opportunity to be there as a way to counter the, um, I, guess, I guess, this is, and this is a controversial point to say that there has been systemic injustice um, based in our country and based upon a variety of gender and racial bias. So that's something that needs to have a systemic response. Yeah, well, I think that you know bias. We hear a lot about bias, but I said earlier we're all biased. Hmm. We just and it's you don't mean to be. It's just how you see life. And if you're not careful, you begin to choose leaders that reflect the same values and the hmm. same way that you see life. And values probably isn't the right word, but the same way you see life. And so I think there's a real danger in that. You know, I look at my own life, and you know, I'm probably my uh, my own, uh, you know, the worst critic of myself. But I see that years ago, when the army started looking at at me, they looked at my potential. Yes. And they gave me appointments based on my potential. I wonder sometimes if we recognize potential in the people that look like us. Interesting. But we only yeah. recognize the abil- the abilities than people that don't look like us. And I think what we need to do is get down and look at the potential of everybody and then and then give them the opportunity to excel based upon their potential right. and not simply because of their of their abilities. Right. And um, that's that's a tough one. It really is a tough one. But you know what? I've made a hundred mistakes probably far more than that over the years. I mean yeah as as a leader and and yet i was kept given more opportunities to succeed and given the opportunity to learn from my failures and i think we need to give all people that same that same platform and that same grace i'm so grateful that you know 
the operative word in the gospel is grace. Amen. You know, yes. We have been saved by grace, by grace, by grace. And then Paul says, not of yourself. So when I get big-headed, he reminds me, Hudson, it's nothing of yourself. It's only by my grace. And so I think that we need to kind of show that and in, in when we um, do our secession planning. And you are exactly right. We don't make national commanders today or territorial commanders today. We make them 20 years ago Right. when you gave them opportunities to grow and develop and learn. And then you have a position. You have people to be in a position to go. And so I am encouraged when I see where we're at now and where we're giving um, people of uh, a different color more opportunities I'm saying that we just need to speed up the process. Hmm. It needs to be a high, high priority because anything less than that is tokenism, and I don't want to be tokenism. Right, right. I don't want somebody to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders because they don't look like me right. and just fear of failure. But at the same time, I know, I know, I know them. I can start counting off a lot of young officers of color and um, women officers, especially married women officers, that have more in their talent uh, quiver than I ever did at their hmm. at their mm-hmm. at their stage in life, and I'm just hoping and praying that they are given the opportunity to lead. And then I'm looking forward to the day when a person will be identified as a leader that happens to be of, of another gender, uh, uh, like a, a woman, married woman, or uh, another race, not somebody that's like a Hispanic. He's an Hispanic leader. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Married woman leader. No, they're a leader. Right, amen. That, that happens to be. And when we get to that level, I think we can begin to begin to start celebrating. Yeah. And uh, we're not we're not there yet. Well, my guess is that you'll be able to see that. And maybe it'll probably be when you're retired, but you know, we're just praying that God continues to lead the army. A firm conviction I have is that God raised the Salvation Army up. And there's certainly been times where the people of the army, yeah. me included, have failed and like haven't lived up yeah. to the calling God's given us, but we trust that he continues to lead us. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to finish up Absolutely. here, but I, um, I really appreciate your time, Commissioner, and um, it's, it's great to hear what God's doing in your life and how he's equipped you through the years. Is there anything particularly that God's uh, said to you lately that you'd like to share, anything God's doing in your life recently? Oh, my goodness, he's doing all sorts of things. I guess, you know, what he's done, I've kind of shared shared this, that uh, especially on the, on the area of equity and leadership, that's really what he's impressed upon me. Um, and, uh, and then the dignity to be given to all people. Right. And so um, people are going to get tired, I think, of me over the next year if they hear me multiple times, because I'm going to be saying this over and over and over again. Uh, just to become that uh, that that constant reminder that you know what God's army deserves the best, and His best comes in all sorts of flavors, and um, and I'm just you know I'm just vanilla. Vanilla is a good flavor, but you know I'm just uh, I, boy isn't a Sunday is has multiple flavors and it's a good thing. Well, you'll have a great uh, so platform in uh, NAOC, and we're planning to bring a group from Tampa, so we'll look forward to that. will be a great thing close to your retirement where you'll be able to have a, a nice Absolutely. big audience where better, you'll be able to share that. To, yeah, yeah, better together, and uh, you can watch here real closely. Oh, we, the contracts are out right now uh, on some of our initial uh, speakers. and uh, Can you tell us one? You us. got one? Can you tell us one speaker? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't because oh, I, we haven't okay. communicated to the territory. 
I'll get the territorial commander sideways on me, but oh, we will have the general. Oh, you only have a year. You only have a year. What, what can they do? Yeah, I know, yeah. but you know what? I need, I need to work oh, okay, with my brothers okay. and sisters uh, I was trying together, to get a, but... a hot release here, hot take. <laughs> yeah. Just joking. Well, watch yeah. closely. Something will be coming out real soon. Okay, well, good. Well, we're looking forward to it. Thanks so much for your time again, Commissioner, and we pray God, God will bless, bless you, you as you friend. move towards retirement. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Captain's Corner. Join us next week when we speak with Horst Schultze, founder and president of Ritz-Carlton Company. If you'd like to learn more about the Salvation Army of Tampa, check out tampasa.org and go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at SalArmyTampa. And of course, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next time.